0: Definition of theory is as follows, a plausible or scientifically acceptable general principle or body of principles offered to explain phenomena. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Ken Goods, and I'll be your host today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm going to talk about some various topics which interest me. And today, we'll be to speak about Operation Paperclip. For those of you who've never heard of this topic, Operation Paperclip essentially is when the United States brought a whole bunch of Nazi scientists over after World War II and brought them into our services. Now, this was for many reasons, mostly, you know, scientific advances. We really want to get an edge up on the Soviet Union and advance ourselves during the Cold War. Some of the fields we brought these guys over for was for the space race, uh, medicinal advances, and uh, chemical and biological warfare. So, yeah, pretty nice stuff, right? So, all in all, the United States brought in 1,600 of these German scientists after the war. And some of these guys, like, they were not great. They had done some, like, really terrible things during the war. Not all of them, but some of them. And we're going to talk about most of those guys today i really want to highlight like some of the crazy stuff that these guys did because i guess in order to compete with the soviet union the united states was a bit willing to forgive and you know forgo a bit of that moral high ground and to quote president truman this had to be done and this was done so big stakes at play and on a crazy note the Soviet Union had their own Operation Paperclip called Operation Osovikim. probably butchering that. Never had a single class of Russian in my life. So I apologize for any Russian speakers out there. Osovikim is the best you're going to get from me. <laughs> this is what it is. So for Operation Osovikim, the Soviet Union rounded up more than 2,200 German scientists of their own and their families. And they did this in one night, right? So just one night. On October 22nd, 1946, the Soviet Union brought 2,200 German scientists and their family members totaling to more than 6,000 people by train into the Soviet Union. Like, that's astronomical. I can't even fathom the amount of work and just preparation, planning, how many but just sure manpower you had to have in there to get that done. Anyways, back to Operation Paperclip. So the U.S. has all these Nazi bigwigs and technical experts in their custody. What do we do with them? Well, like I said, I really want to touch on some of the most notable people that we brought over. And whether it be for scientific advances that have truly bettered not just America, but sometimes the world in technology, or on the dark side of things, the really shady stuff that some of these guys did during the war and possibly after too. So stay tuned. So to get things started, I'm gonna talk about some of the lesser known, not so controversial guys. First up, we got Hans K. Ziegler, born in Munich, Germany in 1911. Primarily known for his work in solar cells, this man also helped to develop the first LED, which is light-emitting diode, and you probably have those in your house. They're just normal light fixtures that are commonly used today, and they're on a broad scale, kind of replacing fluorescent lighting because of their efficiency. So apart from the solar cells, he also worked a lot in communication satellites. So Ziegler was brought to the United States in 1947 to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. (laughs) I'm sorry, but Monmouth, like that's just a really fun one to say. Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Ziegler did leaps to Ford Electronics and Electrical Engineering during his time here stateside. So while employed by the US Army, Ziegler was chief scientist for 12 years during his time at Monmouth. In 1954, he attained his citizenship and held many other titles along the way while he was working in the United States. So Ziegler learned a lot from Bell Laboratories, which you know today as Nokia Bell Labs. Yeah, so the company turned into Nokia somehow beats me, right? His vision was that one day this renewable resource in solar energy would be implemented into satellites. So taking note of Bell Labs, Ziegler went and really honed in on that solar technology and created as efficient as he could for the times and made it really, really possible to implement into satellite technology. So for this, he was awarded the Meritorious Civil Service Award from the United States Department of Defense, which is the highest award in its caliber in that field. So next up is Kurt Lehovic. Next up is Kurt Lehovic, who was born in 1918 in Lehovo, Bohemia, which is now part of the Czech Republic. Most importantly, he and his co-workers, Carl Ocardo and Edward uh yeah, It's the first of many names that are gonna be really tough. So, like I said, I'm sorry. It's gonna be (laughs) hard to get through this one. So these three together really kind of put the light emitting diodes on the map. These are the lights that you probably have in your house every day. So you just hear the term LED, right? That's a light emitting diode. So later after that, he went on to be a professor at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And after he retired from that, he went into writing poetry. So, you know, man of many talents. Kurt Hohenensperr. Kurt Hohenensperr. Hohenemser. Yeah, that, that one's just a straight up tongue twister, right? I, like, nobody can say that name. He was born 1906 in Berlin, where his father was Jewish. And as such, he denounced the Nazi party. Unfortunately, this led to him being fired from teaching and research at the University of Göttingen. Thankfully, he had made himself invaluable to the Nazi party by creating the first helicopter prototypes and essentially is one of the main guys that is responsible for the reason we have helicopters today. When he was in Germany, his work was primarily with the Fi 282 Colibri, but then after the war. He brought his family to the United States, and the United States Army had him to continue to work on helicopter equipment. Now we have Ernst Stollinger, or er, Stuhlinger, Stullinger, S-T-U-H-L-I-N-G-E-R, so Stullinger, I think. He was born 1913 in Niederembach. This guy had quite the life. First, he was drafted into the German Army, and he went to the Battle of Moscow, where he was wounded. Afterwards, he went to Battle of Stalingrad, where he was one of the few survivors and had to make the long retreat back from Russia to Germany in the middle of the winter. So after these incidents where he was on the infantry in the front lines, he was sent to work with Werner von Braun, who's another big name, probably biggest name we'll be talking about today in terms of his achievements while he was employed by the United States. But while in Germany, when he was working with the von Braun team, they worked on rocketry. Here he found what he really excelled at, rockets. So while working with Von Braun, Stollinger worked on the guidance systems for the V2 rockets. He's not quite like the Bond villain, but during the launch of the United States Satellite Explorer 1, he was the man who was tasked with pressing the button for the guidance systems and releasing the rocket, or the satellite, I'm sorry. He was known to have such good timing on this event that that's why he was dubbed the man with the golden finger. He then went on to develop designs for solar-powered ion thrusters before becoming a historian. So Stalinger's the first one of these guys who's got a little bit of a shady backstory. Back at Germany, while working on the V2 rockets, the Von Braun team were using slave labor to work on their V2s. So another influential yet questionable person on this list is Arthur Rudolph. He was born in 1906 in the old German Empire and had some pretty impressive accomplishments and quite the resume. He's one of the key figures in developing space technology for the space race and developed a live technology for the U.S. Army. He oversaw development of the Pershing missile, which was a ballistic missile that was used by the United States Army from 1963 till 1983. He also worked on the Saturn V moon rocket program, which is how the United States ended up landing people on the moon. Let's start at the top though. So Rudolph started working with Werner von Braun, and I know I keep mentioning that name, but we'll get to him soon, and around 1934 working with his rocketry program. A few years later in 1937, the team was moved to Panamunday. I had to look it up. I think that's the closest I can pronounce it. It's spelled like Pina Moon Day. Anyways, it was here they created the first V2 ballistic missile. Long story short, they ended up using slave labor from the Millalbao Dora concentration camp to build these V2s. After the war, Rudolf was brought in under Operation Paperclip. And to quote an investigator while they were checking him out, they said, Rudolf is a loyal member of the National Socialist German Labor Party. And is the kind of person who would not stop at anything if it would further his own ambitions. He had the reputation of being a person who, in his enthusiasm for the Nazi regime, could be dangerous to a fellow employee who did not guard his language. End quote. And they still gave this guy the role in creating guided missile systems and all sorts of other titles along the way, too. Rudolph was sent to Juarez, Mexico in 1949 to obtain his visa and then immigrate to the United States. It was in 1961 that Rudolf went to work for NASA in the Saturn V missions. So after all this, his highly decorated career, numerous scientific advancements, etc., Rudolf came under scrutiny for his time as a Nazi. Specifically his work on the V-2s and the slave labor that they had been using while at the middle work facility at the concentration camp. So obviously the heat was on high, so Rudolf agreed to denounce his citizenship, and leave the United States. Then an investigation began, but they were unable to convict him. And some people even petitioned that he had not committed war crimes. Rudolph once again tried to sue for citizenship later down the road, but he was denied. And when trying to get in for the anniversary of the Apollo 5 mission that landed the, the lunar landing, he was denied entry for the anniversary as well. Like, hmm, (laughs) I wonder why, you know? All right, now for the biggest name of them all, the guy I mentioned earlier, Werner von Braun. This guy's kind of like essentially the reason for the creation of Operation Paperclip. So von Braun was born in 1912 in the German Empire. Fast forward to 1937, after he's been to school and researching all that, he now joins the Nazi party. However, he says he was forced to join the Nazi party in 1939, and it is known that he joined the SS in 1940. Werner caught his big break in the V2 rocket, which is known for its devastating bombings of England. There was a comedian named Mort Sal who said of Von Braun, I aim for the stars, but sometimes I hit London and I just thought that was too good to leave out of this. So Von Braun is brought to America and sent to Fort Bliss in Texas, where he spent an uneventful few years, and then he was sent to Alabama. So at the start of the Korean War, they developed the Redstone rocket in Alabama. So the Redstone rocket was used for nuclear testing, primarily for like a distance, because it's, it's a missile. It's used to deliver nuclear salvos. Shifting gears afterward, the crew began to work on the Jupiter C. The Jupiter-C was the first craft that the United States used to launch a satellite into space. So that kind of signified when we started fighting back America versus the USSR in the Cold War. So after decades or so of setbacks, difficulties, ridicule, Von Braun and the Paperclip Boys were sent to work for NASA in 1958. (laughs) I just... I don't know. I kind of came up with that. I like that paperclip boys. I feel like it could be like a doo-wop group from the fifties. So in 1960, he was appointed as the director of NASA and he quit this post in 1970. But during that time, the paperclip boys got a lot done, mainly with the lunar landing and the Apollo 11 mission. So after stepping down from director of NASA in 1970, Von Braun retired from NASA completely in 1972 And then in 1977, he passed away from pancreatic cancer. So all of these accomplishments that I just spoke of, I want to go back and talk about some of his less shining moments. So the reports are mixed here with some people saying he was a good guy and he didn't know what was happening at the V2 rocket facility in Middlework. But I mean, when you're in charge of what's going on there, and they're using slave labor from a concentration camp. I'm sure you know what's going on. And he he denies even being there. So it it's it's tricky. He had to have visited there. He knew what was happening. Did he have involvement in actually giving the orders to slave laborers? It, it's possible. But this is like a refuted point here, but he was in charge, so he knew he he had to have. So really, don't go trying to scapegoat the fact that you knew that some really like terrible things were happening right under your nose. Because come on, man. Come on. So now we've covered Von Braun. We're going to be talking about some of the more controversial guys that were brought in under, under Operation Paperclip. As if the guys before weren't already a bit questionable, these guys kind of take it to a whole nother level. So let's talk about Hubertus Strughold. Strughold was born in 1898 in Germany and would go on to work in a career of medicine, particularly like aeromedicine, like for pilots and flight and stuff like that. So Strughold worked as a civilian until his branch was absorbed into the Luftwaffe which is the German or Nazi Air Force. During this time, he revolutionized studies in flight, such as high altitude effects, supersonic flights, on, and the effects on the human body. And during this time, he came up with the time of useful consciousness principle. This time of useful consciousness concept is the amount of time a person is able to function in a low oxygen environment, i.e. high altitudes. Now, one may wonder how he was able to achieve these studies and get results on low oxygen on people. Go ahead and take a guess. But we'll come back to that later. So after the war, Strughold was sent to the United States for Operation Paperclip, and he was put to work at Randolph Field near San Antonio, working on the ins and outs of how spaceflight would affect the human body. This he called space medicine. In this field, he created Mars jars, which simulate the effects of atmospheric pressure that Mars has, atmospheric control, weightlessness conditions, and he built a space cabin simulator to simulate what life would be like in space for the astronauts to train him to prepare. So yeah, he's a pretty big deal. He did a lot in terms of the space race, and he was such a big deal that they had named an award after him, and they awarded people with the Hubertus Strughold Award. So this was given from 1963 until 2012 annually to a member of the space medicine branch. Until this award was removed due to the prior controversies of his life. Now what controversies you may ask? Let me enlighten you. Good old Hubertus has come under fire during his time as a Nazi for doing some pretty terrible things. It became clear that he had ties to experiments going on at the Dachau concentration camp, including freezing oxygen deprivation, and exploratory surgery without anesthesia. So yeah, some some very terrible things. The oxygen deprivation experiments involved placing prisoners into these pressurized air chambers, and they would induce seizures in order to simulate high-altitude sickness. Freezing experiments are, well, exactly what you think they are. They'd either put people outside and leave them to freeze, and then thaw them see pretty much if a german was able to jump from his cockpit what his survival rate would be they're just trying to simulate those cold weather environments and they also would put people into freezing water and they just either let them die and freeze or they'd thaw them out and then make them go through the same thing in my opinion the worst of all surgery without anesthesia like i can't imagine that that's imagine that somebody's just cutting you open and messing with your internal organs and stuff. And you're, you're awake and you feel all of it because they're not putting any numbing agents and you just have to take it. I don't even know if they give you like a piece of wood to bite down on or what, but they're just probing around inside your body. He's a great guy. This Hubert's a struggle. Some of these were only alleged crimes that he had committed or had partaken in them. But then again, his assistant, his assistant, like the guy who worked under him, was tried and convicted of these exact crimes. Next up, we've got what I consider some of like the, the fringe members of Operation Paperclip. And these guys were so bad that the United States had to, quote, whitewash them in order to even bring them in under Operation Paperclip because of the things they had done. First up, we've got Otto Ambrose. Otto is known for his work with nerve agents and synthetic rubber during and after World War II. Especially was the nerve agents, and he developed two strains called sarin and Somin. Both of these were extremely devastating weapons, and they were categorized as weapons of mass destruction. And then later on, Otto devised a way that he could create synthetic rubber, which was essential for Germany because at the time... They were cut off from natural resources and he was able to do this artificially these foundings put him in the good grace of hitler himself and hitler awarded him 1 million marks which was the currency in nazi germany and in addition he was given free reign and he chose the monowitz concentration camp to focus for and to build his facility to use the slave labors to create this rubber compound Here at Monowitz, he continued to use slave labor until the end of the war. And for his continued operations, he was awarded the Knight's Cross of War Merit Cross. Just say that three times fast. It it took me a bunch of takes just to get through that one. After the war, Otto was arrested by the U.S. Army in 1946 and was tried at Nuremberg in 1948. The Nuremberg trials were military-held tribunals in order to prosecute Nazis for war crimes. Only being found guilty of slave labor... He was convicted and sentenced to eight years in prison, but was released early in 1951. Luckily for Otto, he was granted clemency by the United States. And here's where things get a little bit interesting and a bit hard to research. Now, there's not a lot of concrete evidence out there, but it's pretty widely accepted that Ambrose was one of the personnel who was working on the notorious MK Ultra experiments. Yep, the whole mind control thing that the United States government was conducting, but I'm going to Leave it there and save that one for another episode. I think MK Ultra is another topic that I want to touch on and kind of come back to for another episode down the road. Our next Nazi scientist is Walter Schreiber. Born in 1893, Schreiber served in the German army in World War I and later again in World War II as a doctor. Supposedly, he spoke out against the human experimentation that had been going on at Dachau and in particularly the biological agents. So he denied Kurt Blome of testing these agents on prisoners but then this decision was later overridden and Kurt Blom was told that he could and was forced to conduct these experiments with the approval of Heinrich Himmler who was you know big dog top Nazi and for similar events like this Schreiber was removed from this post by Hermann Göring and later at the Nuremberg trials Schreiber testified against Kurt Blom and Hermann Göring for their human experimentation, but somehow allowed Schreiber not to be charged until later on when the Polish court convicted Schreiber of conducting gruesome medical experiments in absentia. So he wasn't there, but his knowledge of these practices still meant he was guilty of their outcome. In 1951, Schreiber was brought with his family to the United States, never listed on official travel documents, but they were only put down as paperclips. The good old paperclip boys back at it once again. This didn't last long, however, because his crimes were brought up once again and he left the country. While in the country, it's unknown what his contributions were while he was stationed at Randall Air Force Base. But what is known is that prior to 1951, he had been working at Camp King, which is a black site where the United States government was holding Nazis after the war, which later became the mk ultra house so yeah you know he he probably had a part in all that after all of his enterprises schreiber left and went to argentina which is known for being nazi sympathizers and housed a lot of nazi expatriates after world war ii while there he continued to practice medicine too so you know after all this the united states gets him off of his crimes he goes down and lives in a nice, peaceful life in Argentina. And he still works as, in medicine as a doctor, like crazy. Just get away with murder. And finally, last but not least, I'm going to talk about Kurt Blom, who I was just speaking about previously. And not to judge a book by the cover, but the look of the this guy's face just screams like I've seen more people die by my hands than you can imagine. He just, yeah, the scars don't help his cause at all either. So Kurt Blum, born 1894, came to prominence before World War II in the Nazi regime, and he was working as a scientist in biological warfare and research. So yeah, this this one's this, it's going to get nasty, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, Kurt Blum. You might want to put your mufflers on. So in contrast with Walter Schreiber, Kurt Blum strongly advocated for the use of carcinogenic substances cancer-causing agents, and biological warfare weapons. And I mean strongly. This guy is quoted as saying, in particular, America must be attacked simultaneously by various human and animal epidemics, as well as plant pests. So this guy just wanted to devastate the entire country and turn it into a barren landscape. No animals, no plants, no humans. And keep in mind, this guy also later worked for us. So Blohm developed cholera, typhoid, anthrax agents, as well as other means of distributing chemical agents in a more long-term fashion. The facility he used for this had 10-foot walls and special SS soldiers to prevent outbreaks. And my mind just brings up like this terrible imagery of like Nazis and gas masks. And they also had something called a tumor farm which I don't really know what that is, but it just sounds awful. He also experimented with lice to cause typhoid outbreaks in Dachau and Buchenwald among the prisoners. And then to surpass himself, he started testing nerve agents on the prisoners, trying to create a miracle weapon for Hitler. And all of this was done under the guise of cancer research. This was cut short, however, as they had to relocate because the end of the war was approaching, and they were unable to destroy all the evidence that they had been conducting experiments on humans, and his arrest followed shortly after in 1945. It seems at this point that America made a deal with Bloom and offered him protection during the Nuremberg trials in the form of an acquittal in exchange for information on chemical warfare and the methods of which it was conducted by. When brought in as one of the paperclip boys, his file never mentioned his acquittal or his past history. His work remains top secret, classified information to this day, known as Army 1952 Project 1975. I couldn't find any details on this one, but I'm almost certain that his research continued in chemical warfare and likely psychedelic compounds. And after all this, like many others, he continued to live a normal life and went back to practicing medicine. So yeah, I'd say this guy probably did the worst crimes of them all, being that chemical and biological weapons are particularly nasty. If you want to do some quick searches and just see how devastating they are, feel free. It's not for the faint of heart, though. I'm not going to actually link any imagery in this video because it it is pretty mature stuff. They are very graphic images, and I definitely don't recommend looking them up if you're eating or you just ate. Just don't do it. All right, that was a long one. And with that conclude some of the more notable Nazis I wanted to cover and shed some light on. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today's video with our condensed segment, Operation Paperclip, a notorious project that we use to bring Nazi scientists into America to further our scientific researches. Was it necessary? Maybe. I personally feel that pardoning the, some of the war crimes of the likes of Otto Ambrose, Kurt Blom, Walter Schreiber, those that's kind of pushing it a bit to pardon those guys. Sure, a lot of good came out of the other guys, whether it be aircraft technology, like the helicopter, solar panels, spacecraft technology, and medicinal progress, but it all came at a huge cost and some more than questionable decisions. If another event in history such as World War II and the Holocaust ever occur, let's hope that nobody profits from the ideas of mad scientists and Nazi doctors. And then again... Truman himself said that we had to do whatever we could to gain an advantage over the Soviet Union. I guess, man, I guess. And since the secret directive known as Operation Paperclip was signed into effect by Harry Truman on September 3rd, 1946, I found it only fitting that this would be my first video because it's the 75th anniversary and it just timed up perfectly to release this on September 3rd. So it's exactly the 75th anniversary of Operation Paperclip. I'd like to thank everyone who stuck with me this far in this episode and everyone who's been supporting me so far. You guys have got me through pretty much everything. I've had technical difficulties and the moral support that was backing me. Like I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Now, whichever platform you're experiencing this from, I thank you so much and I invite you to explore the other platforms as well whether you're on a road trip and you just want to listen to an audio version like Spotify or on Apple getting those things launched here soon and then they'll be on YouTube if you're doing the video format you can just watch at home on your phone whatever you're on the go doing and there's also a discord server that I created i will be linking in the description of the video if you guys want to get involved in discussion and for now hope you have a great day my fellow theorists this is your host can goods signing off